0: Okay, well if you have your Bibles tonight, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, and uh, surrendering liberty and suppressing love, as we deal again here in Galatians chapter 4 uh, about liberty that is surrendered. I don't know about you, but I sure like liberty. I like the ability to make choices, and uh, the Bible it gives us liberty in Jesus Christ. I don't want to be under the old, uh, the old law, the old, uh, all the rules of trying to appease God in my own merit. It is a very tiresome, wearisome, and futile effort. Because you can never fully please him because you are a sinner, as we all are. And uh, religion, as we're going to talk about today, religion is a very stifling, binding, enslaving institution when you think about religion. But the Bible gives us liberty. And what a wonderful truth it is. We're going to look at verses 8 through 16 tonight. And, uh, but uh, let's look at verse 6. Uh, <clears throat> I love this verse, uh, verse 6, as we talked about last week, our inheritance, or not last week, two weeks ago, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Amen. And when you come to know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God confirms in your heart that you're His child. And every person that knows Jesus, the Spirit of God confirms it. You ought to know. Know that you know that you know that you're a child of God. Verse 7 Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then? When ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days, and months, and times, and years. I am afraid of you. lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain, brethren, I beseech you, be as I am. For I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. I therefore become your enemy, because I tell you the truth. So Paul is here in a situation of the people, at one time they're all for Paul, and then as these false teachers come in, Paul becomes an enemy. And it's all based upon wrong facts, wrong information, information that is received as truth when in fact it's a lie. You see, what we believe determines the direction we're going. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Father, I do pray tonight as I, as I preach your word. Father, I pray that the words would be clear, I pray that they would be Uh, just precise and accurate and understandable. Help me to speak in a way, in a manner that is understandable. And Father, I just want to thank you for this study. Or we commit tonight into thy hands. God, I pray you've been pleased. Lord, how wonderful to speak about the old rugged cross. The world thinks ill of that cross, but that cross and that resurrection is everything to us as believers. And it is our very freedom from the slavery of dead religion. Father, I yield tonight to Thee. I thank You for being our gracious Savior. In Jesus' precious name I pray, Amen. Paul is now in a position to expose fully the Gentiles, the Galatians, and their abysmal folly in listening to what is happening is these uh, false teachers come in, and they this blandishments, a, a term, blandishments, is where someone is speaking in flattery to move you in a doctrinal position to where they want you to be. So I'm, I'm going to flatter you, and as I flatter you, I'm moving you from one position of thought to another. That's the desire of these Judaizers. Th- these legalizing, uh, legalistic Judaizers come into the church, and they want the people to surrender their liberty. And their love is suppressed, and their loyalty has been subverted. So he begins by showing them that their, lo- their liberty has been surrendered. When you think about a liberty being surrendered, we're coming upon Remembrance Day, and as we know, as you think about World War I, World War II, and there in Germany at the time, the, as little bit and a little bit and a little bit as the... The agenda of the government came upon certain groups of people. It restricted their movements until such case in point that they put them into concentration camps or they would outright kill them. But they were surrendering little by little by little the liberties. I believe they're doing the same thing today in many countries of the world. And Paul is talking here in verse 8 by the inspiration of the Spirit of God when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. He says, Listen, these very legalistic Judaizers are trying to take you back to paganism. You said, Paganism? No, we still believe in God. Well, let's understand this that <clears throat> the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, when they were at a particular area, the gods come down to us in the likeness of men in Acts fourteen eleven, They believed, as they were here at Lystra, that what had happened, that Paul and Barnabas were gods. Literal gods come down to them, and so they worshipped and did all these actions, trying to appease these gods. Barnabas had been regarded as Jupiter, or Zeus, the father of gods, and Paul had been hailed as Mercury, or Hermes, the messenger of gods. But Paul looks with horror and disgust on these, horror, on these, uh, on these pagan religions there on Mars Hill. You remember in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 and 22 through 23. But in Acts chapter 17, Paul goes here to Mars Hill and he sees this statue to an unknown God. He says, let me tell you about this unknown God. But they have all these philosophers and all these Stoics and all these very intellectual men, and they're all talking about religion and, and philosophies of life. And Paul says, there's a statue to an unknown God. He says, let me tell you about the unknown God. I can let you be, he can be known. But in the fact is, he wrote passionately about the folly of idolatry and in uh, the awe and majesty of the true and living God. We understand in Romans chapter 1. Uh, Verses 19 through 23, would you turn with me here? The Apostle Paul speaks against idolatry. And I'm getting there to why legalism and legalistic legalism, essentially in in definition, is that I am trying to do enough actions, good works, or something to merit the approval or the attention of a divine deity or deities. That's a, a definition. Now, kind of a paraphrase of a definition, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. Romans 1, 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corrupt a man into birds and four footed beasts and creeping things. Is that not what we do today? People will worship the spirits of animals, they'll worship animals thinking that they carry some spiritualistic definition to them. Well, what we're doing is we're worshiping the creature, not the creator. And idolatry has a dreadful fascination for people. I mean, uh, you know, in Oriental lands and even in this day and age, uh, there's people that are coming, even moving up here, and and they're talking about Reiki, Reiki, or I can't remember, Reiki, Reiki, R-E-I-K-I, Reiki. I'm probably off of my, defi- my uh, pronunciation, forgive me for that. But uh, yoga and Reiki and all of these uh, mystical a- uh, Asian type uh, religions are coming in uh, with a fascination and a curiosity. But they're leveraging spiritualism and it's bringing people into bondage. Because there's a spiritual tie to it, so it's something other than God. Do you realize this, that even in Christendom, uh, and, and by and large, that which would be under the title of, of, of Christianity, but in Christendom in general, very loosely affiliated with God, but there are people that light candles to graven images, to saints. They'll bow down before them. They'll venerate them. They'll pray to them. People pray to Mary, or some image that is accounted as Mary. There's various forms of idolatrous Hinduism that have taken root even amongst, uh, you know, amongst us here. And those who worship idols become a slave to that idol. Some will serve with such fanatical devotion and great, great zeal. Heard of those in, over in uh, Asia and Asia you know they they'll be climbing steps to their gods and i mean they're on their hands and knees up massive amounts of steps bloodied knees bloodied hands all climbing up to the top to hope that their god is pleased with their devotion they're held in a grip of superstition their mind and hearts is bound by evil spirits which lurk behind these man-made images Paul here says in Galatians chapter 4, there was a time when you had no knowledge of God and you gave uh, power and you gave uh, reverence to these pagan deities. Sure, you crafted them as, a, as an idol maker. Realize this, that even in the Catholic Church and the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. They've actually removed that commandment. If you go look over there, The Ten Commandments, they remove the Third Commandment. And they've replaced the Ten Commandment and split it into two. So now there's still Ten Commandments. But they've removed, that's not making any graven image. Why? Because there's graven images all over that building. And they're giving veneration to things that are not to be reverenced. And we came out of this. When you knew not God, you did service. He says, listen, I gave my heart. You know what? There's a lot of people that idolize sports. I mean, they are 24-7, 365, 366 devoted to hockey. Now, is hockey inherently bad? No. But if I'm giving my entire life massive amounts of funds and time to one thing, other than to service to God, that is my idol. So yes, our hockey players can very well be idolized by listening to these legalists. What is happening in verse nine? But now, after that, you have known God, or rather, known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereinto you desire again to, to be in bondage? What is happening here? So they go from paganism, because remember, they're Galatians, they're Gentiles. They go from paganism to legalism you exchange one slave master for another slave master you know how often it is in christianity someone they come out of it they maybe they get saved and and they come in and they accept jesus christ and then they're like you know all these things you know you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this stuff that's not you know there in the bible and 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 they're just all of these things if you want to be a good christian you'll do this and and it's all about the outward adornment not about the heart slavery so Paul here he says you observe days and months and times and years the whole idea of Advent right oh I've got to observe this day and Paul is saying that can bring us into bondage he contrasts this, their enlightenment, with their new enslavement. You accept Christ. Jesus is the only way. And then comes along this deviant doctrine that says, oh, God only selects a few people. That's bondage. Or, God might need to, you know, uh, There's a, you know, something else might come up if you... Uh, I can't think, there's a whole lot of different things. I don't don't want to go down that rabbit trail tonight. But nevertheless, they're exchanging all of paganism where you had no hope. In fact, there's a recent death of a major actor that I remember as a young kid watching. And there was a short little, I guess, tribute to this particular individual. And they said he had no peace. He had no peace in all of your paganism and all of your search i mean again sports is definitely an idol of our land movies and hollywood and, and and music can definitely become an idol so can also just i need to follow my heart feel do what feels good you've placed yourself as an idol but then we accept Jesus, we realize, listen, Jesus is the only way. And now I put myself under all the bondage. Listen, some, you know, here's a bondage. Someone says you accept Jesus Christ by faith, but you can lose your salvation, so you must continually be good to keep your salvation. That's bondage because you never earned it in the first place and you can't keep it. That's bondage. That's bringing you back. And that's exactly what these Judaizers are trying to do. Oh, you accept Jesus? Okay, now you need to be circumcised. Oh, you accept Jesus? Uh, now you need to observe the Passover and the fe- all these different feasts. That's bondage. The elements he calls, you know, the, the re- elements of revealed truth. You know, it's kind of like a grown man And we get to a point, man, we're eating like massive steaks and potatoes and just real good meals. And I go back to being a vegetarian or a vegan. Man, that's a backwards movement. I understand some people are vegans for their own whatever the case. But man, if I have to go away from meat, that's a bad day. Because I like my meat. Judaism and its legalism are now so completely obsolete, Paul calls it weak. And beggarly. I mean, it's totally powerless. And what happens in our churches today, when churches bring in this legalism, it kills. Calvinism kills. Calvinism is a theological position that believes that God only chooses. And so if God only chooses who's going to be saved, you don't need to go out and evangelize. And you're not fulfilling what God has called you to do. And man, it just kills your spirit. It's deadening. It's a wicked, wicked, damnable heresy. Legalistic Judaism. It takes and it makes you utterly impoverished. I grew up in a church in this very thing. And there in the Calvinistic Reformed theology called itself Baptist. It wasn't Baptist, but called itself that way. And Christianity to me was miserable. I didn't know what it was like. Man, if I would have known how good it is as I know now back then, man, it, you know, it would have changed a lot. But I didn't know how good God was. And the Apostle Paul turn ye again to the weak. He said you're making a decision to go away from liberty towards bondage. It's enslaving. Yes, I'm no longer a pagan and I have a belief in God. But if I get into that mentality... And it's very easy, and you go online, and there's Dr. So-and-so, or some pastor so-and-so on YouTube, and they're preaching this thing, and you're like, wow, I never saw that before. And you begin to look, and you go down that trail, and then you're like, man, my spirit just feels like it's squashed, because you've replaced one slave master for another that's not God. You've gone away from the simplicity of Jesus Christ. My friend, it is a blessing to be under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And these Judaizers who are telling these new believers, you must, yes, you've accepted Jesus, but you've got to do all these Jewish laws and rules and observe all these holidays if you want to be good. And What they're doing is they're convincing these men... To give up the liberty they have and surrender it. I don't know about you, but observing all these religious calendars and stuff, and and God had these for a purpose for the Jews to remember what mighty things God had done in their land. Israel has now been set aside because of their wickedness. They're still in the promises and blessings of God. They're not replaced. But God is now using Christians and local churches to carry out the Great Commission as Israel was supposed to do in the Old Testament. Major segments of the professing church had thoroughly Judaized themselves. They put on all these calendars and religious feasts that they had to observe. Just as today, there's certain churches you have to go through Advent and you have to go through Lent and you have to do all these certain things and only on Fridays you can have meat and I mean, there's all a lot of stuff you can go through. That's bondage. That's not liberty. That's not of God. That's adopting Judaistic methods, and putting it into Christianity, and calling that Christianity, when in fact all you've done is exchange one pagan master for another. You know, one of the worst is the cultic teaching of the Seventh-day Adventists. They are they say, you must worship. I had one lady, she said, the bad state of America. This is back when we were at door knocking and talking to some people. And, and she told me, she said, America is going down the hole because of not observing the Sabbath day. What? You know, but they, they don't like, they, they do observe. You know, they'll eat cheese and milk. They'll eat cheese on meat. When you're not supposed to have a, uh, you know, cook a, uh, an animal, its baby in its own mother's milk, you wouldn't eat meat and cheese together if they ain't the same animal because now you're eating, you know, and you're not mixing wool and cotton together, yet they do that. So they pick and choose what bondage they want to put upon you. And that's the same thing, I mean, even in Jewish, uh, in the Israel today, the Knesset, they want to uh, observe the Sabbath. And so they'll hire outsiders or or liberal Jews to work on the Sabbath so the the religious ones don't have to work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was for the Jews, the nation of Israel, prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was mandated, excuse me, in the Mosaic Law. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And, And God knew that we did need rest. But he also used it for the nation of Israel to remember on that seventh day to whom they were to worship. But to them, it just became another day off. You know, oftentimes we have holidays here in this nation, and these holidays end up becoming just another day to sleep in. There is a significance behind many of the holidays in this country. But most of the time, they just become another day to sleep in, or do things around the house, or whatever, or go away. When they challenged Jesus about healing on the Sabbath, in John 5, 17, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to heal on the Sabbath. I'm going to help on the Sabbath. God's Sabbath rest had been broken by Adam's fall and human sin. And the Lord rose from the dead on a new day, the first day of the week. You realize this, that that's why we celebrate, we have church on Sundays. Because Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week. So every Sunday we're meeting, we're celebrating, if you want to call it Easter, every Sunday. Because he rose on the first day of the week. And the fact is it's an important thing to gather together with other believers. In Matthew 28-1 in the end of Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week and then you'd find that the women would come to the tomb. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And from there on out in obedience following the Apostles' Doctrine following the principles and practices of the early church we meet On Sundays, do I need to go back to observing and doing it on the on, on the Sabbath? No. You know, also another thing about the Seventh Day Adventists: when someone commits a particular deed, let's say someone cheats on their spouse, they don't stone that person. But the Jewish law had it that way, so they pick and choose, and they pick the Sabbath day to make themselves better than others, oh, we, we observe on Saturday, to make themselves better than others, but only to bring you into bondage. And there's an infatuation of holy days, such as, you know, in Easter. I, I, I love Easter. I love the day of resurrection, the day we you know, uh, traditionally and annually observe on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you realize every Sunday is that there can be an infatuation or there can be a, uh, an overemphasis on one particular day as, you know, there's individuals, they only come to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter, or c and Christians as we call them, right? Uh, Christmas and Easter. Because, oh, those are the holy days, I need to be at church. No, you need to be at church every time, you know? And the fact is, we are drawn to this, like, mystical, like, whoo, there's like some holy, like really good vibe you're going to get there. It's paganism. You know, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, as he talks here in verse 13, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Now I want you to look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul endured to get the gospel out. Getting the gospel out takes time, it takes energy, it takes uh, going against persecution at times. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. 2 Corinthians 11, 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more, and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. He says, I was whipped thirty-nine times at five different occasions. Thrice, or three times, was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often in perils of waters and perils of robbers, and perils in perils by mine own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst, and fastings often in cold and nakedness beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You know the Apostle Paul, this whole idea of health, wealth, and prosperity. If you have enough faith, then good things are going to come your way. Well, Paul was a man of faith, and he had a whole lot of bad stuff come his way. He had people all, I mean he had robbers, he had his own countrymen try to kill him, he was trying to stone 39 times, he was, you know, five times, he was whipped 39 times, he was stoned where they thought he was dead. I mean the Apostle Paul, I mean later on in life his eye would droop and like probably ooze like pus and other gross things and probably because of all the persecution he had endured. But he said it's worth it to get the gospel out. He wasn't putting himself in the bondage of legalism he was doing it because he said listen I want people to get saved revival fires were there in the city of Galatia and these believers are on fire for God and the legalistic Judaizers are trying to come in and steal the joy of the Lord from them the old bastions of Satan had crumbled at the foot of the cross And the synagogues of the area were centers of hatred and animosity towards the Apostle Paul. Faced martyrdom there in Galatia. In danger at many, many different occasions. and the The eternal security of the believer was up in question as these Judaizers are coming in trying to steal what God gave. And what happens? A church is apostate. If it teaches faith in Jesus, but you can lose it. If you can lose it, then the keeping of your salvation is on you, not Jesus. That's not the gospel. If a church teaches you have to be baptized to be saved, that's a work. That's not the gospel. Because now you're doing something to earn your way to heaven. you realize this in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 and there are many many people that teach you can lose your salvation but to teach you can lose your salvation you're like well what's it really that big of a deal they're a really nice person yes they might be nice but their doctrine is not of god Because it's teaching, you have to do enough good works to keep what God said I'll take from you. That's not a gift. That's a payment. My friend, it's dangerous. If you hear the gospel and you hear the word of God, and you understand it, and you realize it's true, but maybe, and you haven't come to that. Let's say Hebrews chapter six, verse four, and this is uh, a, a situation. Oftentimes, it's taught of someone who can losing their salvation, but you can't. In Hebrews chapter six, verse. Uh, Uh, 4 for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come If they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the son of God afresh and put him to open shame Well, the truth here is they weren't saved they 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 tasted They weren't God's family. But man, someone comes under the conviction of God. They realize they need Jesus as their Savior. They realize He is the only way. And they say, no thanks. No thanks. The Spirit of God says, listen. I'm no longer coming. I'm no longer to convict you. You've had the clear understanding you needed Christ. And you said, no thanks. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not going to convict you anymore. You've understood it. You've had absolute truth. You've partaken in the blessings that God You've seen God work. And you said, no thanks. God says, listen, I'm done with you. Now there's also in Hebrews chapter 4 a, a possibility that you and I could be deceived. In Hebrews chapter 4. There's more that could be said about that passage there in Hebrews 6, but I won't go in that for the sake of time this evening. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter, excuse me, into rest, as he has said." As I have sworn in my wrath, they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth, that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached, entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth it a certain day, saying, in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Jesus had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God, for he that has entered in his, into his rest has also ceased from his own work as God did from his. And But we find here, you know, we can get discouraged, uh, being deceived. We can't lose our salvation, but we can get into a place of defeat, discouragement, and disappointment. And uh, Christian, we, there's coming a day of rest, true rest it could very well be that some in your inability to sleep and find rest there's a you have never there's spiritual things going on in your life that's preventing you from just being able to actually sleep well when you relinquish and suppress get rid of liberty. Love is suppressed. You surrender liberty, love is suppressed. Let's look at the uh, next, passage, next portion here in Galatians chapter 4. I'll uh, hasten this on for the sake of time tonight, but... Verses 12 through 16. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye, now ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me in his angel of God, even as Christ Jesus... Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given given them to me. And I have therefore become uh, your enemy because I tell you the truth. You know, on a personal level, people will use doctrine, reproof, sarcasm, divine logic, and scripture uh, to make an appeal on the personal level. And uh, Paul would make these appeal. Sometimes he does use sarcasm. Uh, Sometimes he does use reproof where he'll correct you. He says, brethren, I beseech you, be as I am. You know what he's talking about? He's not harboring resentment against these people because what's happened is these Judaizers have come in, they've become friends with the church of Galatia. They've become friends with those who are in the church. And You know, when you're alongside friends and, and someone starts to speak against your friend, it's natural, if you want to think about it like a dog, the hair, on your, you know, your hair comes on end and you're kind of on guard if someone starts to speak against a friend. Someone starts to speak against someone whom you've come to become friends with. Someone who you've, you've formed a relationship with and, and then someone else is like, hey, they're wrong. And you're like, wait a second, that's my friend. What does the Bible say? I was talking, I had it before. I was talking with someone recently, I think it was Raymond today. I, was, I said I had a pastor growing up, or uh, not growing up, but I had a pastor. Uh, it was my mentor in the ministry early on. And uh, he went sideways and started doing some really funny things. And I said, Well, you've deviated from Scripture. I'm no longer with you. I'm not going to follow you. I don't got your back. I'm going to go with what the Bible says. I had to, unfortunately, turn my back on him. And I I felt, you know, it was very hurtful. I loved the man. But uh, the fact is, Paul's saying, Listen, I don't have anything against you, but listen, I'm not your enemy. He wanted them to have a unified mind, be as I am. You know, Paul had been trained. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, trained to be a rabbi, uh, devoted Jewish legalism. Paul understood all of that. You know, it's sometimes easy when someone gets saved, and maybe they had a a background prior to salvation similar to yours. You know what, you tend to have a... uh, I would say like a magnetic personality towards that individual who's come out of a lot of the similar things that you've come out of. You're like, I can relate to that person. And Paul says, I relate with these Judaizers, but listen, they're wrong. Paul lays aside his own birth advantage as that he was a Jew of the Jew, you know, Hebrew of the Hebrews. But Paul says, I am free from the law. I don't need to keep the Sabbath day. I don't need to keep all these dietary laws. I'm free of this burdensome baggage. Be as I am. You realize this? Uh, let me read this little uh, here in Pilgrim's Progress. If you've ever read it, John Bunyan's classic, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, there's a poor pilgrim. Graceless is his name, as he's called in the first part of the book in early days. And the, the, he goes on this journey because of evangelists. And he starts on this journey, and, and as he goes along, his burden gets bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier. And maybe you can relate. Uh, there's things in your life, and man, it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier in your life. And as Graceless goes on, this he has this book, he begins to read, and he meets evangelists, and evangelist leads him towards Calvary. And he saw in a vision one who had died there to set him free. An open sepulcher, an empty tomb. He saw the risen Christ, the light dawn. And there as he comes to Calvary, the burden of Graceless, and Graceless is his name, the character, Graceless becomes Christian and the burden rolls away. Freed. Spring in his step. A song in his soul. Why? Because he had been freed. Freed. If I want to say you have faith in Jesus for salvation, but you must keep it or you can lose your salvation and you don't have that hope of assurance forever in eternity, my friend, that steals your hope. It steals your hope. Hope that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. Not a I hope so, not I think so, not a maybe, but a no so. The Mosaic Law, if we wanted to follow that today, you know what the Mosaic Law did? And and we saw it, we've talked about it here. It was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. All that burden and all the weight of the legalism and all that stuff, you know what it's supposed to do? Saying, I don't measure up. Man, I'm a worthless, pitiful person. I can never measure up. I can never do enough stuff. You know what, if I can't do that, I'm just going to accept the gift that Jesus said. Jesus said, I've already paid it all. Hallelujah, it's all paid. I don't need to do anything because I can't measure up. And Paul says, Listen, he said, I have been greatly handicapped, I've gone through illness, I've done many, many things. Paul, it is thought he even had ophthalmolia, where his eye oozed. he had epilepsy potentially. And Paul, that infirmity of the flesh, <laughs> because of all the beatings he got, he says, Listen, I've got to evangelize the lost. He said, It's worth it. That message of freedom and liberty in Christ is still worth it. Verse 14 in Galatians 4 my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ. You. He said, Listen, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you were overjoyed. You were like, Woohoo! Freedom! Man, there's a joy in Jesus Christ! Man, I'm going forward! And then all these legalizers come in like piranhas just to attack and eat. Like wolves coming in to steal your joy. Man, they opened opened their arms with open arms to to the Apostle Paul. Man, he must be like an angel. Man, where have you been all my life? You see, Christian, what you listen to, you must be careful. There is a lot... There's a whole, I would say, there's a whole lot more falsehood on YouTube and other social media platforms and online and books that will bring you into bondage. My wife was talking to a lady some time ago, and she's a midwife, and she said there's this particular sect of Mennonites, and this particular sect of Mennonites, they will actually have the pastor's wife go there while a woman is giving birth in their church and make sure she has a dress long enough, she doesn't scream loud enough when that baby's being born. I'm like, that's insanity. That's bondage. That's lunacy. Oh, we're holier than thou. No. You've you've, you've forgone. You've given up. It is so easy for us to forget the simplicity of the gift of Jesus. It's a gift. The blessedness. Paul says, you would have plucked out your own eyes for me. you You would have given me your own eyes. You loved me. You were thankful to me. But he says, I'm now becoming your enemy. Verse 16. Legalists will turn. They'll turn us from people who love Jesus and serve Jesus and have the power and the peace and the presence of God in their lives. They'll turn us against them because of some doctrinal position that stands in opposition to Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Christian, we must not entertain legalism. The Bible gives us doctrine on how to live. It gives us doctrine on how to be holy and separate. And, and those are all important. Absolutely important. Realize this. That Let me think about Let me show you this real quick. In, in illustration, my dogs, they have an invisible fence. They have a collar. And that collar, there's a little wire that's dug underneath the ground in our property. And those dogs can go anywhere on the property they want. They just can't go beyond the boundaries that I've set. They go beyond the boundaries, there's correction. You know what? There's freedom in Jesus Christ within the boundaries that God set. Those boundaries are not to be restrictive, they're to be protective. Just as the walls of a castle... Some might say that's restrictive. I say they're protective because those walls of a castle keep you from the enemy easily getting in. Legalism wants to take away that liberty and give you over into another master who's going to take over that fortress of defenses where you're at and make life miserable. Remove the joy, remove that relationship and give you a false notion. You see, that's why it's so important to know doctrine, to know the Word of God. And Paul, Paul doesn't care if he becomes their enemy as they would account. He says, listen, I've got to tell you the truth. Anyone that wants to pervert, change, enslave, and move away from the simple truth of the Gospel that we're all sinners, that Jesus died for every man, woman, boy, and girl, and if you'll receive Him by faith as a lost sinner, you are forgiven. You don't need to do anything for it except receive it by faith. And Paul fights this so hard because he says if, I, if this church gets it wrong, this church closes its doors and ceases to be a place of a lighthouse to point people to Jesus Christ. And another place, another city that will not have the Gospel to help reach people with the, to help reach people with the message that will save them from eternal judgment. It's very important. I say, doctrine has eternal consequences. We've got to be right. And you know what? It's worth it to stand firm on what God says. Surrendering liberty and suppressing love. you get away from the Gospel, you lose the love of Christ. You change it for something else. And so as we come to our time of invitation now this evening, I'll have Mrs. Pat come forward if I could, please. I want to challenge you with heads bowed and eyes closed. How important is the Gospel to you? How important is it that people stand on this book? It's not that they're a nice person. I'm not questioning if someone's nice. I'm not questioning whether they're friendly I'm questioning, are they biblical? You know what, I'm not going to align myself. Uh, yes, I'm friends with those who aren't saved, and yes, I've, I've had acquaintances and others, but I, I'm not going to say yes to their, I'm not going to say, well, you know, all roads are okay. No, Jesus tells us there's one way. Because to deviate from that one way is to go the wrong way. And I trust in your heart, number one, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. Have there ever been a time in your life you know that you know that you know that you know. You can say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know upon the Bible that I received Jesus as my Savior. You say, I know that, Pastor. I say, praise the Lord. Then you must stand on the Gospel and don't move away from the simplicity of the Gospel. If you don't know, man, I'd love to show you tonight from the Bible how you can know for sure God is not willing that any should perish. He loves you. and He loves all of us. He wants a relationship with you. And so as the music plays, I trust Christian as the Apostle Paul's, that we would be steadfast, unmovable. As the Apostle Paul was so concerned that the church of Galatia got it wrong, he says there's wolves coming in and they want to steal your liberty. Oh, my friend, may we stay free as the children of God. Trust tonight also that you know Jesus as your Savior.